is everyone doing today? Good. I haven't heard anyone say anything bad, so I'm assuming everyone's in a good mood. Uh, who here likes movies? Okay. I've said this before in some of my previous messages is I like to watch movies. And there was a point, and still is, where I subscribe to a service where I can watch as many movies as I can for a low price. Who here remembers MoviePass? Any of you remember MoviePass? It was a thing for about a year, maybe a little bit more, uh, before they decided to go bankrupt because they kept on showing out all sorts of money for guys like me who are watching multiple movies throughout the week. Um, but because of the nature of Hollywood and the movies that they've been producing, I saw an awful lot of superhero movies within the last couple of years. Who here likes superhero movies? All right. Now, as is the case with a lot of people who watch superhero movies, there are people who tend to gravitate towards one particular superhero over another. There's favorites. And so I thought it would be fun for us to find out where the favorites lie in our sanctuary today. So Iron Man. Who here, your favorite character is Iron Man? Okay, we have one per, okay, a couple people, all right. Iron Man. Uh, how about Thor? Thor is, oh, yes, oh, all right, Thor. Uh, how about the Black Widow? Anyone like the Black Widow? That is so funny because in the 9 a.m. service, there was a hush that went across the entire sanctuary. No one seems to like Black Widow. Eh, whatever. She's dead anyway, so. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, my bad. Um, Captain America. Anyone likes her? Oh, ho, ho. go Team USA. All right. Uh, how about let's switch over to the DC universe? Who here likes Superman? Anyone likes Superman? Yes, we have one, a couple. Okay. Uh, who likes Batman? Okay few enthusiastic Batman folks, and Wonder Woman. Yep. Oh, yes, there's a few enthusiastic fists in the air. All right. So one of the things that you'll notice with comics, whether you're watching the movies or you're actually reading the comics, is, is that uh, you have uh, the protagonists, the guys who are labeled as the good guys, and no matter how good that they are, you will see that there is tension that uh, rests within them. There is this conflict that comes about. And so despite how good they might be, they still struggle. They're not perfect, right? They still have these moments where there's character flaws that come about. And I think that it is a perfect representation of humanity because humanity has this potential of incredible things, are we not? We're able to accomplish a lot. I just found out uh, recently that we just turned on the engines to Voyager 1 that was launched in 1979 or 78, something like that. We just refired engines that have been dormant for decades. That's incredible. And so humanity is, has this ability to accomplish all sorts of wonderful things, but at the part of it, humanity still deals with flaws. It still deals with character defects. The Bible calls it our sin nature. 
And so no matter how good we want to be, no matter how good we could be, we still have an element of bad in us. And so I want to uh, uh, introduce to you a series that we have uh, that we're going to be uh, discussing in the next few weeks called The Bad Boys of the Bible. Isn't that a good title? Bad Boys of the Bible. And what I want to emphasize in this series is, is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. God's love is still going to be poured out on you anyways. Amen? It doesn't matter how weak you are, how you have failed. It doesn't matter what you are, are, who you are and what you've done. God will still work in your life, and he will continue to make himself known both to you and the people around you. And so I hope you are encouraged today that it is not uh, about you and your abilities and your strengths, because even when you are in the midst of weakness, God will still pour out his love, he'll still speak to your hearts, and he will still make his name known throughout the world. Amen. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be going over Bible characters who are not all that impressive, who have made some questionable decisions, but in the midst of it, God still showed up. And so we're going to talk about Jonah this week. Jonah, and so we're going to turn to Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to skip about in, in, in chapter 1, but we're going to read the first three verses of Jonah. So the first three verses, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. I can't say that word. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. See, still can't do it. To flee from the Lord. My first point is, is that our heart needs consistent refocus. Our heart needs consistent refocus. Jonah was a prophet, his very job was to not only hear from the Lord, but then relay that message to the people around him. You see, this was the Old Testament. It's not like now where the Holy Spirit has free reign and rests and resides in our hearts and, we can, and we're able to hear the voice of the Spirit whether we're a prophet or whether we're somebody else. But in the Old Testament, God would only rest his Spirit on certain select individuals. And so in the Old Testament, if there was anybody who was supposed to know the mind and the heart of God, it was supposed supposed to be Jonah. He was supposed to have it together. He was, there was more of ex, that was expected of him. But instead, we see Jonah's heart fluctuating, don't we? We see his heart fluctuating. And so that should give us a moment of pause. Because today, the same weakness that infected Jonah's heart is the same weakness that infects ours. If Jonah can fail, so can we. And so we have to be on guard that our heart is focused on the right thing. 
because God is speaking, but we as human beings have a tendency to turn our hearts and to turn our minds and to start focusing elsewhere. Our heart needs consistent refocus. And with Jonah, not only was his heart unfocused, but we find that he was in outright rebellion. And so I'm going to point up a map because whenever I speak, I always bring up maps. And we're going to see this map of rebellion. And so we have Jonah who resides right around here. And he's called to go to Nineveh, which is to the north and east of where he was, about 500 miles. Now, if you notice, there's no sea that is here, is there? It's nothing but land. There's all sorts of roads that he could have taken. It was very easy for him to get to where he was and to go to Nineveh. But what did he do? He got on a boat. There's no water in between him and Nineveh, but he got on a boat. And not only did he get on a boat, he got on a boat that was scheduled to go all the way across there more than five times the distance that it would have taken for him to go to Nineveh, he chose a path that was five miles or five times the amount of miles that it would have taken him to get there, and he chose the complete and opposite direction. That is a man that is committed to not following the will of the Lord. And so it just shows that our heart needs to be refocused. And how many of you are glad that God doesn't leave us in our rebellion? We can walk away as many times as we want, but the presence of God is still there in our lives. We are still hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit who calls all people to repentance and points people to Jesus Christ. You today may find yourselves uh, in a place where you have wandered and wandered and wandered. Well, today is the day for your heart to be refocused and be turned back to Jesus Christ. Today, is the day of salvation. And so right now at this moment, are you hearing the voice of God? Are you hearing what he has to say to you? We find in Jonah chapter one that God raised up a storm. It was God who raised up the storm. It wasn't just a natural event. God raised up the storm. Why? So that he could refocus the heart of Jonah. Some of you right now are in the midst of a storm and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get out of this? Well, today, will you consider for a moment that it's not other people that put you in this storm? It is not even your bad decisions that put you in this storm, although I've done that plenty of times. Some of you might be in a storm right now because God sent the storm to you so that your hearts can once again be refocused on him. Are you hearing what the, Lord, what the word of the Lord is today? God is speaking. Are we listening to what he is saying? It concerns the sailors even. You see, the boat that Jonah got on wasn't just a kayak that he's just there going, I'm off to Tarsish. There was other people there. This was affecting everybody. And so the sailors were in this boat. There's this storm, and they're starting to get concerned. They're looking around going, what happened? Did you, did you mess up with your God? Did you mess up with your God? What's going on? And they finally got to Jonah, and Jonah said, yeah, it's me. I messed up. I'm running away from God Almighty. And they're starting to get concerned. Like, why did you bring us into this situation? 
And so we pick up in verse 11, and the sailors working with Jonah on what their next step should be now that God has sent this storm upon them. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, we focus an awful lot on this part of the story, don't we? We know about the storm. We really, really know about the fish. But I want to challenge you Please see God's grace in all of it. It was God's grace that sent that storm to Jonah. Why? Because it is safer in the midst of the storm of God's will than it is in the passivity of being outside of his will. Did you hear that? It is safer in the storm of God's will. And so that is part of his grace with sending that storm. But the second part of his grace is, is that they threw Jonah out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. That's a pretty big place. It gets pretty tumultuous. And so here's Jonah in the middle of the sea. He's going to die. So God sends a fish to swallow Jonah so that he will not drown. God interrupted Jonah by the miraculous things in order to refocus his heart. And so that brings me to, to reiterate my point. If it was up to Jonah, he would be on a ship to Tarshish. He would still be in rebellion, and he would have died outside of the will of God if it was up to Jonah. But praise God, because of God and his grace, he refocuses our hearts every time we kind of lose our way. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his storm. Praise God that he sends things like a fish to swallow us, to bring us back into right relationship with him. In Jonah chapter 2, we see God and Jonah speaking to one another and reworking their relationship out. And we find that Jonah is becoming increasingly more repentant. And at the end of chapter 2, the Bible says that God caused the fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. Talking about the worst submarine ride ever. You're there, you're in this fish, and then, oh, by the way, oh, this is your stop? Okay, bloop, and now out he comes. <laughs> Wicked gross. Let's jump to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Then, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. 
Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And skipping ahead to verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Our power needs consistent refreshing. Our power needs consistent refreshing. Think about what Jonah had gone through. He had spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. That means he got to smell everything that was in that fish. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've been working exceptionally hard and I catch a whiff of myself and I think, wow, this is gross. This is stinky. I know that that fits you too. You've gotten that whiff. Now imagine being on the inside of you. You know all the stuff that's come out of you. Now you have access to all of it. You have access to everything. And so now you have right from the factory that new bowel smell of everything that is going on in that fish. Really, really gross. And now you also are in this thing there where you are a grown man inside a fish. There's probably not a whole lot of room to move around. There's not a lot of light. You have the muscles of the fish constantly working against you. Why? Because he's trying to digest you. And so you have all of that going on, and then you have all of the fluids, and then all of the acids that is now bleaching your skin. This was not a good experience. It probably tired Jonah out. And so after he escapes all of that, he goes to Nineveh. He doesn't even go throughout the entire city. He goes about a day's worth in, and then he just gives out this one sentence. Oh, by the way, you're all going to get taken over. See you later. Peace out. That's all he did. And the people of Nineveh responded. Isn't that amazing? You have this guy who's not from Nineveh. He is a foreigner. He comes talking about a foreign God, and he just gives this one sentence, and he kind of looks a little funny. Why? Because he's been in the belly of a fish for three days, and so he's there. He just gives out this one sentence, and the people of Nineveh repented. Why is that? It's because of the power of God. We need the power of God to work in our lives. Because if it's left up to us, we surely will fail. Not only the things that we're trying to do, but the thing that God is calling us to do. Think about what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to go into all of the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're hoping that people all over the world will come to know Jesus Christ so that their lives are changed for all of eternity. That is a huge supernatural task. We try to accomplish that on our own, we're going to fail. We need the power of God in our lives. Just to give some background on the people of Nineveh, these were an impressive people. They were like New York City. Like the people, the area around Nineveh 
would be associated with Nineveh because Nineveh was so prominent. They were so well known. And so they would say, oh, you're about 30 miles away from Nineveh. You're from Nineveh. Now, I don't know about you. There's been plenty of times where I've had a conversation with somebody and they found out I'm from New York and they're like, oh, New York City. No, not New York City. New York City's 250 miles away. I know nothing about New York City. I don't salute the Statue of Liberty every single day. I know nothing of New York City. That's what Nineveh was to the land around them. They were so prominent, so strong, so influential. They were people of the arts. They had art galleries. They had gardens. They had a a strong military presence. The person who found Nineveh was a guy named Nimrod, who the Bible said was a great warrior. And that there uh, there was this back and forth between the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so there was this constant war and conflict. And the fact that Nineveh was considered to be a strong military might in the midst of an area that had so much conflict around it speaks of how strong they really were. They were also a people who were strong intellectuals. The, descent, uh, the, the ones who uh, preceded the Ninevites, uh, the, uh, they, their ancestors were people who were pursuing knowledge and accomplishing great feats. In fact, the Bible says that they were the ones that started the Tower of Babel. And if, in various archaeological digs, they have found that the people of Nineveh had a very large and extensive library that expanded throughout the world around them. These were strong, impressive, intellectual people. And so as, as such, there wasn't a whole lot of external need for the people of Nineveh. So how do you reach out to a people that has everything that are so strong, so smart, and has so much money? How do you reach out to those, to those people? You notice that Jonah didn't reach out with an intellectual argument. You notice that he didn't come with a conquering army to bully uh, the people of Nineveh into submission. Instead, he just came in humble obedience. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And they believed, and they repented. Again, this was a God that they, hadn't, they weren't all that familiar with. They knew their gods. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah came and proclaimed his God, and he did so humbly. And in obedience, God's power came through. Perhaps some of you are wandering around today, and you're tired You don't know what to do. You don't know what the next step is. And I'll submit to you today that some of you, your power needs to be refreshed. Uh, The Bible talks about it like this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
If you want to make a difference in your life and the lives of people around you, if you want to be obedient to what God has called you to do, may I suggest that you lean in on the presence of God and ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You have been wandering around and you have accomplished great things on your own, but now is the time for you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can speak in tongues Absolutely not. Tongues can, be, uh, can sound foolish in the eyes of other people. It is just simply an evidence. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, not so that you could be filled with, uh, so that you could speak in tongues, but that you would be filled with power so that you could speak to other people about Jesus Christ. So that there would be a revival that would take place just like what happened in Nineveh. The same revival that we see in Nineveh can happen here today in Syracuse and the surrounding area around it. Why? Because the power of God is available for every single person who is here today. And so you have this power that is available to you. That means that men, women, uh, rich, poor, every single nationality, every color, every language, every demographic that is conceivable has power, uh, has, a, has the power of God available for you to accomplish what God God has called us to do today. We have that available to us. We need our power to be refreshed. Our mind needs continuous re-education. Our mind needs continuous re-education. Now, as a prophet of God, Jonah gave, gave his proclamation and the entire city repented. There's revival that's breaking out. You would think that he would be happy, right? You would think that this would be the exact thing that he wanted. After all, this is who God is. This is what he does. This is his business. And yet we find Jonah having a temper tantrum. And so I, find, I, I liken it to this. I don't know if any of you have dealt with a little child who doesn't want to do something. They can get pretty stubborn. And so you have the parent looking down and saying, this is what I want you to do, and this is why I want you to do it. They're re-educating the child on why this is okay and why it's important for them to do it. And the child just stamps his foot and goes, No! I don't want to. I can't. And they kind of have this little thing and they, they get, you know, they, they, they throw a hissy fit. And I find that we are like that sometimes with God. God, almighty, he's the creator of the universe. He knows everything. And here we are, we dare stamp our foot to God and we say to him, my brain is smarter than yours. How ridiculous is that? It's absurd. And so we are going to have a video and before we play it, I just wanna give you a little heads up on what's happening. We have a mother who was talking to her daughter and she's trying to get her daughter to apologize to her sister. So there's this big confrontation. I want you to apologize to your sister. And the daughter has a reaction. And so let's see what all this is about. Oh, you're sorry. I can't. My mouth is so 
So did you hear that? Tell your sorry. I can't. Someone took my brain out. Someone took my, I can't, I can't talk. I can't do it. Isn't that what we are like as human beings? Is it that God asks us to do something and we're like, I, I don't know what you're asking of me here. It's just, I, I can't do it. I can't. I can't do it. We need to allow God to re-educate us as his kids. It's not like he's some bully up there going, obey me or else. He looks at us as his kids. And so let's see how Jonah gets a little parental, or how God gets a little parental with Jonah and what Jonah's response is. Jonah chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? when I was still at home. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head and ease for his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is! And I'm angry and I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it, you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand? and also many animals. It was an interesting thing to throw in there at the end. You have 120,000 people, they're lost, they're gonna die. They don't know from their left hand, from their right hand. Also, there's animals. Like, it was just an interesting thing to throw in there. It shows that God really cares about all creatures, but I just found it funny. Um, Anyways, two times in that passage, that God asked, is it right for you to be angry? And finally, the second time, Jonah said, yes. His inner child came up, yes. It's right for me to be angry, and I don't want to live anymore. Why is that? Because God was about to show mercy and was showing mercy to a group of people that in Jonah's mind didn't deserve it. And that's the crux of it. 
Jesus summed up the law. All of the law of the Old Testament is summed up in this way. Love God and love others. And so we find in this story so far that Jonah has reached to the point where he said, fine, I'll, I'll submit. I'll finally submit to what you have for me. But he failed in that second commandment in loving others the way he would wish to be loved. And as is with the case with most sin, if you fail in one, it eventually wreaks its head up in another way. So not only was he failing in loving others, now he's mad at God, and he's failing in this first commandment as well. For some of you today, you need to be reminded that Jesus had two commandments. Love God, absolutely. Some of you are on board with that. You attend church every single Sunday. You read your Bible. You go and have all these Bible studies. You come to whatever midweek service that you can. But when it comes to loving others, you have a problem. When it comes to loving others, you make excuses. When it comes to loving others, you put your foot down and say, no, I don't want to do it. They don't deserve it. Today, God is calling you right now, and he is re-educating your mind to say, I have loved everybody. I have died for everybody. All I wish to come into repentance and have eternal life. We need to continuously re-educate our mind. Why was Jonah so upset? You know, this wasn't his first gig as a prophet. This wasn't his first time prophesying. We find in 2 Kings that Jonah had prophesied to the, to the people of Israel. And you know what the prophecy was? Hey, everyone, you want more land? Well, here it is. You have some land, you can have some land, you can have some land, and you can have some land. Everybody is getting more land. That was his prophecy. It was basically saying, I, the Lord your God, am going to enlarge your territory and increase your borders. It's a pretty sweet gig, isn't it? I would love to go up to somebody and say, you know what? You get $5 million, you get $5 million, and you get $5 million. I feel called to that kind of ministry. That kind of ministry is encouraging, is it not? And so here we see Jonah being very much on board when it came to blessing. But then he saw his people react afterwards. His people were initially pretty happy pretty thankful, but as is the case with most people in humanity, they're pretty short-sighted. They don't remember for very well. And so after they started to have this moment of celebration, yay, God gave us land, and they start looking over, well, this idol over here looks pretty interesting. I think I'm going to go worship that. And so they go over there and worship. And then they go over here, you know what? I don't like this person over here. I think they deserve to die. And then they start turning slowly and slowly back to their evil ways, just as if God had never moved. And so Jonah knows that. He knows that God came through in a powerful way, and he knows that his people just thumbed their nose at him. 
he also knows that just as God showed mercy to his people, he's likely gonna show mercy to the people of Nineveh. And he's aware of the prophets that have been raised up like Hosea and Amos that have come out and said, because you have turned back to your evil ways, I am going to have a power out of the east come over and take you over. So he knows that not only are these people going to receive mercy that he thinks don't deserve it, but he knows that eventually God is going to use that same people to then pronounce judgment and discipline on him and his people. You see, it's one thing to have faith in God when everything is sunshine and lollipops. It's one thing to be on board with God when it's about the blessing. But when it comes to discipline, when it comes to inconvenience, when it comes to things that we don't understand or agree with, it sometimes becomes harder for us to stand in faith. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who God is and that what he has in store for us, whether it's discipline or whether it's blessing, it's for our good either way. He comes to us as a parent. Can I have the worship team come on up? Today, some of you are wondering, what does it look like to become a follower of Jesus Christ? And you're wondering about God, and you are in the midst of this storm, and you're wondering, can I trust a God that says that there are certain things are sins, and if we don't turn from them, then we would spend eternity in hell? You're wondering about the fairness of God. For some of you today, you're wondering, can God ever use somebody like me? Can I ever be in a situation where the God of the universe, who is so great and wonderful, can show me love? I'm just too, uh, I'm just too out, uh, outside of his grasp. Can I encourage you today that the truth of Scripture speaks very plainly that you are valuable to God Almighty and that he has gone through great lengths to ensure that you have a personal relationship with him so that you can rest with him for all of eternity. Can I encourage you today that even if there are moments where you think that God is unfair, we have a God that has shown up and given us so many things even though we didn't deserve it. Like I said before, if it wasn't for God's interruption, Jonah would still be at Tarshish and he would have died outside of the will of God. But because of his grace, we can stand with confidence and say, God, what is your plan for my life? I just want to be used by you. And you can have that confidence that he will empower you to accomplish that plan.